Hello, hello, this is Jonathan and you're listening to the Johnny Talks Podcast, the place where we help you achieve your financial goals. Hola amigos, hope you're having a great day wherever you are. And if you're a new listener to the show, special warm welcome to you. I really appreciate you tuning into the show. And if you're a returning listener, welcome back. I appreciate it even more. And amigos, today is the first episode of uh, 2021. So I want to wish you a very happy new year and more importantly, a very healthy new year. And let's see what this year brings. Huh? <laughs> and now let's go to today's episode. In today's episode, we will speak to my friend Alex Mason, host of the Stock Stories podcast. I only recently started to listen to his podcast about stocks and investing, and I really enjoy learning more about every company he talks about. While he focuses mostly on S&P 500 companies, the largest publicly traded companies in the US, the great thing for us in Europe is that he also dives into European stocks like Total, Nestlé, or Louis Vuitton, amongst others. We will talk about how he got into stocks, some of the myths surrounding the stock markets, difference between a stock and a business, the different stock categories or personalities of stocks, and finally, Alex will share some great tips on where to start looking for information on individual stocks. This episode is for you if you're looking at getting into investing in individual stocks, but are not sure yet on how and where to start. So without further ado, let's hear the interview. Hello, Alex. How are you doing today? Hey, Jonathan. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. Yes, I'm very excited to have you on, Alex, because we've been chatting a bit and you you run your own podcast, the Stock Stories podcast, and you talk about the stories behind each stock of the S&P 500, but not only the S&P 500, also you cover as well European stocks, which is great for, for me, for us, <laughs> for a part of the listeners, and you really go into details. And um, of course, I wanted to have you on to explain a bit your process, your stories, your story with stocks, actually. So, uh, yeah, maybe we can start with that, uh, Alex. So uh, maybe can you tell us a little bit about your story with stocks? Where did it start? How can I say? What's your passion with stocks? Why are you passionate about stocks? Well, I would say first, growing up, I never really had much exposure to the stock market mm -hmm. or really investing in general. So it wasn't really something that I thought about and it wasn't really, yeah, I didn't have any perspective regarding that topic at all. And Pretty much growing up, I wanted to be an engineer. That was always my passion. And so I went to engineering school and pretty much only thought about that for a number of years. Mm -hmm. And then when I was about to graduate, I remember I was in a used bookstore one day. I had come home from winter break and I was just kind of hanging out with my sister and we went to the bookstore and I was just kind of browsing around and I thought to myself, you know, I'm about to graduate, go out into the real world, get my first job. And I don't know anything about money at all. And it just kind of hit me on that moment that, you know, maybe I should do some reading on the subject. And I came across this book called The Automatic Millionaire. It's by David Bach. Mm -hmm. And it introduced really the concept of investing to me and compounding. And I just became really enthralled with this idea that if I put enough money away now, if I was in my 20s and maybe 30s, then I would basically be set for the rest of my life. And I could do other things. I could learn about many different subjects. I could just kind of live my life. And 
So that was the introduction to me for stocks in general. Mm-hmm. And then as I got into kind of the more personal finance stuff, I told my my then girlfriend about it. And we just decided, yeah, we're going to learn about this together. We're going to learn how to budget, do all the kinds of things that they tell you to do, you know, watch your expenses, raise your income, et cetera. But that investing piece of it was something that just always stuck out to me as something that was so interesting. It was really mysterious. And the more I (laughs) dug into it, I realized like, wow, there's a lot here. This isn't just put money in a mutual fund and forget about it. I mean, you can certainly do that and still have great results. But when I started to learn more about the mechanics behind investing, that's when I realized like, wow, this is a whole new world. I can I can see the entire world through different eyes now because mm-hmm. I'm looking at it through the frame of a company or the frame of an industry. And that just became really fascinating to me. I think maybe just plays a little bit off of kind of the engineering personality. Like I want to understand how things work and I enjoy like figuring out systems. And so that's, I think that, uh, that helped me kind of naturally lead myself into wanting to become an investor. Yeah. And I read the book as well. It's, it's a quite good book. I mean, I think it's a bit repetitive uh, in the first pages, but basically the message is clear. It's stop drinking your, um, your coffees and uh, go buy um, go buy index funds or mutual funds. <laughs> That's really the short <laughs> uh, part. So you never bought uh, those uh, daily coffees or uh, those, those daily lattes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny because I think different books speak to people at different times in their life, you know, yeah. depending on the circumstance. And like at that moment, I was basically a broke college student and about to have a real income for the first time. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that it was telling me like, don't drink lattes or anything, I thought, oh, wow, okay, well, I already know how to do that. I, I'm not <laughs> buying anything anyway right now. So, <laughs> so but yeah, I, I think it's a great, a very, very basic introduction, introduction to a lot of financial concepts that can just be really helpful. Like if you do nothing else other than what's in that book, and of course, many other books like it, then you'll be well on your way to you know finance, financial security and and wealth. No, no, it's a it's a great book. And uh, okay, the latte thing as a student maybe it's easy to follow, but maybe later it's uh, not so easy. But then okay, there's a lot of discussions on this latte factor. At least he put himself on the on the map there, uh, David Back. So congratulations to him with his latte factor. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> let's move on to the to the stocks more. So yeah, now. Uh, for uh, what two years now you have been uh, really moving on even further with the stocks that you are having a podcast by yourself talking about stocks and uh, yeah it's a really nice show I've listened to a few episodes you really cover um, each stock like from the story story behind the stock I mean the company then you go on to the products what what are the, what the everyday products are or what the the company does and then you really go to the numbers. So it's, it's very interesting. And um, while you have a lot of material left to do, because, uh, I mean, if you're co- going to cover the S&P 500 plus European companies, uh, I think you have your plan for like uh, 10 years already. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but, I, but uh, it's really enjoyable. And uh, for people who are individual stocks investor, it's really interesting. So I would uh, recommend everyone to listen to it. And we can talk a bit more at the end of the show. But then... Um, Alex, so how long have you been um, 
really investing into the individual stocks then doing your research etc how, how when did you start yeah i would say i started more seriously looking at individual stocks and really getting going and investing in that way in 2017 that mm. was kind of the part in in my journey where i felt like it was a natural next step because up until that point i had only really been investing in index funds and doing so through kind of the typical tax advantage accounts that a lot of you know Americans or people around the world have access to and so it was it was kind of a natural next step because i really wanted to learn more about where the returns were really coming from you know because mm -hmm. you can do the research and you can and see that all right such and such ticker symbol this represents 500 or 1000 or 3000 different stocks a little tiny bits of all these different stocks and okay well you're diversified and then that's it well yeah but why and i wanted to understand why a little bit more and so going through different companies has really shown a light to me on where the money actually comes from like how does the economy actually interact with you and i as consumers and how does that money eventually flow up to the shareholders and go in their pocket and so yeah so it's been a couple of years now and yeah definitely learned a lot <laughs> in these last couple of years investing in individual stocks and but yeah it's really fun yeah uh, and the thing is with, with the stock markets you know i mean i started about five years ago like 2014 2015 to really invest in individual stocks of course i did a lot of newbie uh, mistakes i just i played with a little money I mean, not played. Yeah, actually played. We can say play because, okay, I did not know what I was doing, but I had a little money. So I had like, I don't know, like about $500 in it. And then I was experimenting, let's say. So um, I did not know exactly if I, I was trading a bit. I was making the mistakes that everybody does, trying to buy a cheap company with a, like penny stocks, thinking it will go up, uh, multiply by 20, this kind of things. But At least I was experimenting and I was like, okay, let's use this as my, uh, as my school. And okay, I made my mistakes. But um, what I want to get to is that, you know, the, the, um, the stock market, you, I think you mentioned before, you know, it, it has a mysterious aura around it. You know, when you don't know, when you don't invest regularly or when you don't read the, the, the books, I will not say the press, the books. I mean, it, it seems complicated. It seems like, oh, it's magic. Oh yeah, this guy made a... Uh, put a hundred dollars and now uh, after two years he has two thousand dollars how is that possible or maybe even overnight gains like uh, if you bought tesla in march this year maybe you you did 10x you know it, it's all those stories and it, it it scares people it excites people but i think it makes a lot of people uh, poor and maybe afraid and you know how how do, does one get over these barriers you know because uh, You know, even some people who are well-informed working in the finance sector, I mean, they don't invest in the stock markets because of all this. How do you overcome this psychological barrier, Alex? Yeah, I think, I think what you brought up is a really important point. And there's so many tales and stories of people who invested money and maybe it went really well for them initially, but then they invested more money and just didn't really consider the risks mm -hmm. and then end up going broke. And there's... There's so many stories like that, unfortunately. I think the thing that I think about to kind of get over that barrier is 
understanding the difference between stocks and businesses. And there's a really key difference because sometimes I'll have, you know, friends text me or talk to me and and ask me about a particular stock or a company and they'll say, "Hey, Alex, should I invest in whatever it is?" <laughs> and then yeah. they'll say after that they'll say, "Well, because, you know, I use their product and or their service and it's really awesome. I feel like I should invest in the stock." Mm-hmm. And the thing is that might be true, but there is a distinct difference between the business it, business itself and the stock in the market. So the stock in the market is really just a reflection at a moment in time of the underlying business because the business itself is really driven by fundamental things like its sales, its profits, its assets, its cash. Those kinds of things ultimately grow and then the business becomes more valuable. The price of the stock itself is really just the market's opinion Mm -hmm. in a moment. And sometimes it's accurate and sometimes it's not. So I think it's really important to differentiate between those two concepts because that can kind of guard you when, say, the stock market crashes or the price of a particular stock that you own crashes. Even when the business itself is doing fine, that just means that you're able to buy the stock on sale, so to speak, because you're able to get more value for less. Mm -hmm. Is it... um... I mean, for example, now we are uh, recording in December 2020. So, of course, the, the, let's say the, the tech stocks, they have grown tremendously. So, based on what you said, does that mean that the market thinks that, I don't know, let's uh, name Tesla, Amazon, that they are really, how can I say, not hyped, but uh, the opinion of the market is that the, these companies are worth that much and that maybe the the sales or the um, yeah the business results are not necessarily matching those uh, opinions of the market i think that the market speaking about tech sp- stocks specifically mm. i think the market is really optimistic and mm. historically the market has generally been pretty optimistic about tech because tech changes the world right tech mm. <laughs> is super scalable as far as a business model uh, or the various business models within technology and so i think the market kind of has a right to be bullish on a lot of those companies like Tesla or Amazon that you mentioned. The The trick to me, though, is sometimes it gets really hard to understand what those companies are actually worth. Mm-hmm. And the the optimism in these industries and in these types of companies are really, really high. And you can just tell that looking at some basic metrics, you know, compared to really almost any other industry. And so what the market's really saying is, hey, I think that Amazon or Tesla is going to continue to knock it out of the park with their profits and just mm-hmm. grow and grow and grow. And it's it's difficult because historically they have been doing that, but even even in Amazon, for example, it can't grow at 30% forever there has to be some sort of a decrease in the growth rate. And that comes back to a mental model that's called the law of large numbers. So once you get to a certain size, it's just harder to grow faster and faster. And an example of that, of where we've seen that happen, is a company like Berkshire Hathaway with Warren Buffett. Mm -hmm. So Berkshire Hathaway has this incredible streak of growth going back decades and decades. 
But now they're growing a little bit slower. And that's just because they're too big. Warren Buffett can't make deals that get him 100, 200, 300% immediately on his money anymore. He has to buy much bigger companies and get a slower growth rate as a result. So all this to say to bring it back to, to tech stocks and what's happening in the market right now, I think the market's pretty optimistic about where things are going to go. Mm-hmm. The companies themselves may, will probably do very well. But at this entry point, and again, I'm just speaking in generalities, I think we may have lower returns going forward for a few years just because the, the expectations are so high that they're baked into the prices of so many of these companies. And it's just kind of like trying to cast the probabilities in your favor as an investor. Mm-hmm. If you have lower prices and high performance, then your performance as an investor is much more likely to do well. It's not saying that you won't do well. It's just saying that you may have a lower probability of doing so, at least based on the data that we've seen historically. Mm-hmm. And how can we, for example, as investors, identify I mean, the, the good opportunities? I mean, are there specific metrics that you think about or, or business models that we need to study? Or how, how can we make better decisions here? Not to get into too much into the hype, We've talked about this in several um, episodes here that, you know, with the media, I mean, they, we always talk about the, the famous companies, the big companies, the big names, and okay, they get hyped because they get in the press uh, because of their crazy valuations. But as well, on the other hand, there may be some opportunities, some companies that are maybe not so well known, or maybe, in, for example, in Europe or in Belgium for me, and maybe they are not doing so well right now, but they, there are good opportunities and the same in the U.S., There may be some uh, blue chip that are maybe just not talked about in the market, uh, sorry, in the press. So how can we try to identify those? Yeah, so that's a great question. I think that there are a lot of things that we could think about that would be valuable. Mm -hmm. But one of the first things that comes to mind is, first of all, just being aware. I mean, like just learning about different companies Mm -hmm. in and of itself is an opportunity You know, one of my favorite investors named Peter Lynch, he wrote this great book called One Up on Wall Street many years ago. Like he said that in order to find the best investments, you have to turn over a lot of rocks. You've got to go hunting for them mm-hmm. because sometimes the opportunities are not abounding like so easily, especially, you know, in days like today where we've, we've had bull market for many years, sometimes it's a little bit harder to find the opportunities. So Sometimes we do have to just look and look and look. Other than just that, I would say that we can look at, you asked about metrics. One of the metrics that I really like is called the PEG ratio. And so the PEG ratio stands for price divided by earnings plus growth. And so we would take the price of a stock, divide it by its earnings per share, so its profits, and then add in the growth rate. Mm-hmm. or the expected growth rate. Of course, we can't know with any certainty how much a company is going to grow in the future, but we can have an educated guess. And so that metric, I really like it because, and that's actually also from Peter Lynch, it accounts for the value of the stock today, but it also takes into account the potential for growth in the future. So you may have a small, fast-growing company that has a really high price-to-earnings ratio, which is a PE, mm-hmm. and that's kind of the traditional valuation metric that a lot of people use, you can have a company like that with a really high PE, 
say 40 or 50, but if its growth rate is 30% or 40% a year growing extremely fast and it's able to maintain that rate of growth, then your overall valuation really isn't that high, right? Because your earnings are going to grow so fast, it's going to mm-hmm. catch up to the valuation. So that's one extreme. If we look at the other extreme of, say, a really slow growing company, that may be okay if the overall valuation is really low. So the price is really low compared to the earnings might be okay if those earnings are not growing that fast. So there's different ways that we can make money as investors, right? We can have money in these fast-growing companies or in slow-growing companies, but one commonality between them is that the price that we pay is paramount. The price that we pay for any asset matters. Mm -hmm. It just matters a little bit less if the stock we're investing in is able to grow fast. Okay. Okay. Very good. And uh, when you compare companies or opportunities, let's say, uh, I, I will put big names because it's easy, McDonald's versus Tesla. What should I do? Should I compare the, the, the spec ratio between McDonald's and uh, Tesla? Or uh, is that a reasonable way of doing this? Yeah, I think we can compare certainly the peg ratio, for example, between those types of companies, for sure, because it accounts for the growth. One thing that I would also consider is, you know, just going off of those two examples, Tesla is a very new company and it is also in a company that is historically very cyclical. Now, Tesla is, I think, incredible in a lot of ways. They've done a lot of amazing things and they're rolling out software. They're doing all sorts of, of great things. So I do expect them to perform way beyond probably what your typical car maker is going to perform at. But it, to me, it doesn't change the fact that it's still in a cyclical industry. You know, people are going to pay 70, 100,000 US dollars for a new car now. Well, when we're in a recession, they probably won't or they'll do so not as much. So what we have to think about that and the cyclicality of Tesla's profits. Contrast that with a company like McDonald's. McDonald's is pretty much the only major restaurant in the world to have been as successful as it has been over a very long period of time. And whether there's a recession or times are good, people are going to buy a Big Mac with fries, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, you know, Warren Buffett's, you know, he's still eating his, his, uh, his food from McDonald's all the time. So it just depends. And, and I think that kind of brings out this point that sometimes we can compare metrics between A and B companies and come up with a relative valuation. But sometimes I think it's important to look too at kind of what is the personality of the company itself? What are some of the underlying economic characteristics that had driven this company's success in the past? And then we can ask ourselves, are we likely to see those same types of characteristics going forward or not? And so that's kind of where it comes in. I mean, speaking about Tesla specifically, like I, I just don't know. I, I think they're doing amazing things, but I also think the valuation is incredibly high. So it's a little bit harder for me to value a company like that compared to a company like McDonald's, which already has a long track record of financials, is not as cyclical, and is just grows a little bit slower. So it's a little bit easier to value. Yeah, sure. And, and then we, we spoke of it before the episode, and then you, you wrote something to me, an idea from Peter Lynch, because you talked about it. 
it was about yeah why I like to think about stocks as personalities. Can can you expand a bit on that, Alex? Because this I think this is something new for me as well. Yeah, for sure. So I really love this concept from Peter Lynch, and this is actually in the book that I mentioned earlier, One Up on Wall Street. And it's this wonderful concept that looks at individual businesses as kind of these different personalities. He calls them categories. I call them personalities because I kind of think of them kind of like people. And so the different personalities are these. You have stalwarts, fast growers, slow growers, cyclicals, turnarounds, and asset plays. And we can go into each of those if you want. So the first one, uh, fast growers. So, so these are like the young up and coming companies that maybe just made it into the stock market. They just IPO, they're small, maybe around one or $2 billion market capitalization and usually growing at least 20%, 25% annually as far as their earnings. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the great returns for individual investors can be made in this category because a lot of the big institutions can't buy those kinds of companies because they're just too small for their funds. They would literally move the entire market for that particular stock if they were to try to buy any meaningful amount of shares. So that's really fertile ground for people like you and me mm-hmm. as individuals. So that's that's a great category. Of course, there's a lot of risk there because there's a lot of volatility with these types of companies. That's kind of the double-edged sword of growth. Like, yeah, you can grow really fast, but you can fall really fast too. And some of these companies don't make it. Mm-hmm. Another category or personality are the slow growers. So slow growers, these are things like, what's an example? I would say something like a, like a Southern company. So I did an episode on this a little while back. Southern company is a utility company in the Southeast United States, and it helps make electricity for people who live in those states and grows, you know, two to 5% per year, nothing really special and pays big dividend and just kind of does its thing. It's the kind of company or stock that it's going to make money for you if you choose it well, but don't expect it to go crazy. But at the same time, it's good protection during a recession because the earnings are going to be relatively stable. Mm-hmm. So moving on to stalwarts, Stalwarts are kind of in between. These are those blue chip companies that people love to talk about. These are the McDonald's of the world, the Disney's, the Coca-Cola's, the um, Microsoft. probably now like, <laughs> yeah, Microsoft, certainly. So these are like these flagship companies that not only are well known, but they have lasted for a long time, but they're actually growing faster than a slow grower. So maybe in the eight to 12 percent range as far as earnings growth. And this is great because you kind of get the best of both worlds. You usually get a dividend, so you get some income immediately, but you also get a decent amount of growth over the long term. So that's a really great category company to look at as an individual. Uh, Then you have cyclicals. So (laughs) cyclicals, oh man, like these are some of the most misunderstood personalities of stocks, I think, because a lot of times they look like they're a stalwart or they look like they are maybe even a fast grower, mm-hmm. but really they're just in disguise. These are the types of companies that just like clockwork move up and down with the business cycles. So think about, for example, the oil companies are, are a huge example of this. 
So companies like Total or Royal Debt Shell or ExxonMobil, there'll be periods when oil prices go up and there'll be periods when oil prices come down. And this cycle just repeats over and over again. So a lot of times investors can get caught up buying at the wrong part of the cycle and then just have a ton of money lost as a result. So that's something to watch out for. But on the flip side, you can make a lot of money with cyclicals too if you're able to buy at the bottom of the cycle. But just be careful because you really do need to be familiar with the business you're buying and the industry you're buying in. Do you have other examples than the oil industry? Can we put the car industry in there or not? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So the auto industry, if you look at Ford, for example, Ford has had many great years over the years, but in 2008, they almost went bankrupt. If it wasn't for the amount of cash they had on their balance sheet, they might have gone bankrupt and had a fate similar to General Motors. So car companies are notoriously cyclical. Same thing with banks or another favorite among a lot of investors are airline companies. Mm -hmm. uh, so just looking at history, there's just a huge amount of ups and downs with those types of businesses. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So then let's see. The next one is turnarounds. So this is just a situation where a company is struggling and maybe a new management team comes in and turns things around. They write the ship, they invent new product lines, they create new services, they employ better marketing strategies. These are the companies that maybe have fallen from glory, but they're they're on a comeback. And honestly, I find it more difficult to identify these types of businesses. <laughs> One of the things that Warren Buffett has been known for saying is that turnarounds rarely turn around. And I think that that's true. Sometimes when a company starts struggling and failing, it's it's over. Like maybe they may not come back. And so, but again, you can make a lot of money potentially by buying a turnaround at the right time. If you have specialized knowledge about what's going on, you really understand the possibility of a comeback. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a tough one. <laughs> I would not feel comfortable with those uh, myself. And then, um, so we have those five categories and now we know them and I think we can identify and you helped us here, Alex. So thank you. But now what do I do with this information? Do I need to then diversify? Uh, like, let's say I, I want to invest uh, $10,000. Uh, should I put then $2,000 in each category or how do I need to see this? Is it just based on my risk profile? Yeah, I, that's a great question. I think it depends a lot. But in general, I would say, especially if you're beginning to mm. invest in individual stocks, just stay away from the cyclicals, stay away from the asset plays and the turnarounds and just avoid those altogether because it's really easy to lose money with those kinds of companies if you're not careful. I would say, I think stalwarts are a great place to start for a beginner investor in individual companies because these are the companies, first of all, that everybody already knows. Everyone already has some familiarity with a Microsoft or a McDonald's at, at some level. And so there's some familiarity there. And not only that, but they're a little bit easier companies to study. They have strong track records of uh, financial records and they're more easily analyzed. And when things go bad in the market and in the business cycle, they tend to not go down as much as other mm -hmm. types of companies. So they kind of cushion the blow for you there. If 
you're getting to a point where you're feeling really comfortable with the stalwarts, then I would branch out into some of the fast growers probably because honestly, you're going to make higher returns there. And that's actually kind of where I'm at now in my investing journey. I've, I've been investing in a lot of the stalwarts and avoiding most of the other categories mm -hmm. and kind of trying to get more into, I, I've waded into cyclicals a little bit, but also want to get into some fast growers for sure. Yeah. And then, uh, Alex, I want to ask you, because your journey started with the, the book, uh, The Automatic Millionaire, where I think it's, I don't know if it's index funds or mutual funds that he advocates for, but still like a diversified fund. So do you still own, are you still invested in, in an index fund or something? Or did you move completely away? Or how do you balance your uh, assets now? Yeah, I actually am still invested in index funds okay. with some of my portfolio. I'm just in the tax advantage portfolio, and I just dollar cost average into those every month. And that's just, just an easy way to ensure that if I make some huge mistake in the future, <laughs> that <laughs> it's okay. you know. And I think a lot of people kind of get this messed up in the financial space. They believe that it has to be one or the other. Either you're all for investing in the indexes and passive investing all the way, or no, you're not going to do that. And, you know, active all the way, you need to trade, you need to invest in individual stocks, whatever it is. But I don't really subscribe to that. I think that you can have a mixture. You can, like you said, when you first got started, you were experimenting a little bit, right? Correct. So it's, it really helps to just try different things and see what works. And then over time, you can refine your strategy. So that's kind of where I'm at right now is, yeah, I have some index funds, but that individual stock portion of my portfolio is growing over time. And I don't know, maybe one day I'll completely switch over uh, once I feel like I've proven to myself that I know enough about it and I'm skilled enough to really do that. But yeah, it doesn't have to be an all or nothing thing, but that proportion is definitely growing over the years. Yeah, correct, correct. Yeah, I do the same. Huh? So I, I have a portion in index funds and I also invest in... Um, individual stocks and but I like to uh, go into the details and learning about the business and uh, reading books about the business if possible like uh, last year I read two books about Disney and this kind of thing so it's it's genuine interest and that's what makes me want to buy it and I will listen of course to a few more of your episodes that uh, talk about the companies I invest in because I invest mostly in Star Wars yeah which you cover so yeah it's it's a passion as well it's interesting it's Just how, do, how does the company make money? Uh, why uh, this, uh, I don't know, strategic decision was a bad one? Why was it a good one? Was it a good timing, etc.? So it's, it's quite interesting. But then, of course, you invest a lot of time in doing so. And then, um, yeah, Alex, I want to ask you because, okay, some listeners may be invested in the stock markets. Some may not be. Some may be on the fence. Some may be are investing in index funds already. But let's say you're a complete beginner. and Okay, you, you set some money aside and you, you're ready to invest in the, to, yeah, to take more risky moves with your money. Yeah, what would be your tips for uh, beginners in the, investing in the stock markets? Yeah, I would say, first of all, just get started. You know, just try something. Mm -hmm. it's, it's okay to lose a little bit if you learn something out of it, right? Yeah. So just, just get started, get that brokerage account open. There's, of course, you know, a million out there. But now we're at a really great time as an individual investor where the fees are so low or in some cases non-existent to purchase individual stocks. 
So it's a really great time to start. I would also say more specifically, uh, start with companies that you know, companies that you care about, companies that you're familiar with, and then go ahead and do a little research online and just see, is this company publicly traded? And then once you find out that it is publicly traded, go to the company's website. And Mm -hmm. sometimes it's obvious, sometimes it's not, but there's usually a link on the main homepage of a company's website that says investor relations. So what you want to do is click on that to go to that page. And then you'll see a ton of information. Don't worry if it's too overwhelming. There's often a ton of info there. But just start kind of poking around and reading things. Um, One of the main things that I do is read the annual report. So as a publicly listed company, every year the company's board will basically create this annual report for shareholders just to give them an update on how the business is going. And some some are more well-written than others, certainly. (laughs) Some are a little dry. But sometimes you'll learn some really great things in there. And that's actually one of the foundations of my research is just reading an annual report. Nothing more than just opening up the PDF and just reading and seeing what I learned. And so I would definitely advise doing that just to get started. And and you would be amazed how much you learn about a company in 20 minutes if you just start reading the latest annual report. Yeah. And it's interesting because I, I read a lot of those myself, especially when I was a student, because then we, for some papers, we needed to dig into those. And then you you see the metrics they use, for example, in specific business. And Okay, it's a bit, uh, it's a while ago, huh? but uh, for example, in a telecom company, they would look at uh, certain ratios like, oh yeah, average revenue per user or this kind of things. And they try to measure the growth of this revenue per user or the churn of uh, yeah, customers, how much they lose, how much they gain per year. So, so they have, they use different metrics per business. So, so that's also interesting to, to learn about. You know, it's just a thing that um, you would not know if you don't read the report. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's a great point. Just familiarizing yourself with the lingo or the language of an industry really helps. And the cool thing is, Jonathan, once you kind of learn the basics of the lingo for one company and begin to understand it, then you can switch over to one of the company's competitors and have an even easier time understanding how that company is doing because you already have the context. So, you know, the knowledge you have that you gain, it builds on itself over time. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, read. And, um, well, one observation I had in the, in the beginning, it was like, oh, but when you read those, uh, papers, it all looks fantastic. It's like, yeah, we had a bad year, but the future looks bright. It, it was always something positive, you know? It's like, <laughs> so as you say, some are better written than others, but it was always like, yeah, but every time I read the report, it, it looks positive. It looks great. It looks fantastic. Of course, they have to. It's, <laughs> there's a, because they need to present it to the board of shareholders, etc. So <laughs> they, they need to make it look good. So that was a, just a funny thing that that was my first observation uh, when I started reading those. But yeah, it's good tips. And do you have any a book recommendation, for example, like a guide to to help you to yeah to help you, like uh, I don't know maybe the common the book of common sense investing or this kind of things. Uh, yeah, I would say there's a lot of great books out there. Mm-hmm. I tend to recommend for beginners the One Up on Wall Street by Peter Lynch. I just think it's really well written. It's written in a language that's not super technical, but pretty conversational, but it still gets to the heart of what investing is and 
the kinds of things that are worth looking at. So I would definitely recommend One Up on Wall Street by Peter Lynch. It's a fantastic book. Okay, excellent. I haven't read it myself, yeah. so I will put it on my wish list. <laughs> okay, Alex, I think we covered quite a lot of ground and uh, maybe some listeners will be like, oh, that was uh, quite technical. So let's, uh, let's <laughs> put a break here. And uh, yeah, I think if listeners want to know more, I think your podcast is a bit less dense than this episode. It's, uh, it's taking a more easy pace. Uh, maybe you can share a little bit on how you share your episodes in your podcast. Yeah, thanks. So Stock Stories is all about decoding the business behind the stock. And what I try to do with every single case study is look at the company kind of from a holistic perspective. So we start with just telling the story of the history. Like, where did the company come from? Why does this company even exist now? What, what needs is it fulfilling in society? So kind of studying the context first. And then we look at the business overview and just try to figure out at a very fundamental level, what does this company do? How does it make money? And it can be as simple as like McDonald's we talked about earlier. They sell burgers and fries. Pretty easy to understand. Or Tesla, we covered that recently on the show. And fundamentally, people think that Tesla just sells cars, but really they sell energy and they sell software. Those are the main things that they sell. And so kind of breaking down what the business does and how it makes money. And then we go into the financials a little bit. I try not to get too overwhelming because sometimes with you know a podcast, it's difficult to convey numbers in, in a way that is really that helpful. But just looking at basic trends, like did the sales go up this past decade? Well, how much did they go up? Did the profits go up? Um, just looking at some basic trends like that can really give you a lot of insight into how the business has been performing and likewise how the stock is likely to perform in the future. Yeah, and, and it covers, as we said, so companies from the S&P 500, so the, the companies you know, but it's across all, um, all industries. I think there's REITs in there, there's, uh, I mean, utilities, uh, Disney's in there, like the, the, big, the big names, and as well European companies. So there was a Total, the oil company, the oil major, there's Louis Vuitton in there. I mean, it's very rich, so it's for everyone and uh, yeah, very interesting. So I rec highly recommend it if you are looking at investing in uh, stock markets or want to know more about the companies uh, you want to invest in. So it's a great podcast. I'm subs I subscribe myself, uh, Alex. So uh, Alex, yeah, we, we've come at the end of the show. And as you know, we always have our uh, three quick fire questions. Are you ready? All right. Yes, I'm ready. Okay. Well, we talked a lot about stocks, but uh, what has been your best investment so far? Oh, man. Uh, I would say I'm going to go with a percentage-wide uh, answer. Mm -hmm. I would say Louis Vuitton Moet Hennessy has oh, really? been my best investment. <laughs> yeah. I, I bought some shares right, right at the bottom, uh, back in March and, and they've come back pretty nice. Uh, I wish I could have bought more shares, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, excellent. Excellent. I, I, I have invested in, in it as well. I've been, because I always hear a lot of people on Twitter and they mention the stocks they invest in, but uh, I haven't seen many people investing in luxury. And I think to me, luxury, I will quote what Bernard Arnault, the CEO, said in one, um, in one article I read in the business press. It was like, yeah, I don't know about Facebook in 100 years, but at least in 100 years, they will still drink champagne. So I thought it was 
pretty <laughs> arrogant, but um, yeah, oh, actually true as well. So <laughs> I was like, yeah, this is this one is a good one for the long haul. <laughs> oh yeah, and I, I just love the company. Like you said, like the brands, they've been around for literally hundreds of years, mm. and it's just mind-boggling to me. Like if you have a business that can still be successful after a couple hundred years, there's very few companies around the world that can reach that bar of excellence. So yeah, I'm impressed too. <laughs> very good. Uh, next question. Well, we already talked a bit about the books that you, um, that you like, but I will ask it anyway. What is the best book you can recommend to anyone? And uh, it does not need to be a financial book, Alex. That's a good question. I think actually I'll I'll mention a book that I'm actually still reading. I have it here in front of me, but I've been really impressed with it. It's Principles by Ray Dalio. Mm -hmm. And it's a book Ray Dalio, he's he's a hedge fund manager basically. He created the biggest hedge fund in the world called Bridgewater Associates. And the book's actually not about finance at all, although it's written with some of that background peppered in there. Mm -hmm. But I love it because he just focuses on what are basically the timeless principles that you can have to build a better life for yourself. Like how do you think about problems or in your life and how to solve them very methodically? How do you think about the impact that you're making on the world? There's just a lot of good stuff in there. And it's quite a book. It's several hundred pages. And like I said, I'm still not done with it yet, but mm -hmm. I can definitely vouch for the first few hundred pages. It's good stuff. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Another friend recommended to me as well. So worth uh, reading. Okay, very good. And then the last question, uh, what is the, per the best purchase you've made for under $100? Yeah, this is a good one. So I started journaling back in 2019. I just kind of picked it up, thought it would be good to just kind of store some of my thoughts down, especially just with life. And sometimes you have great moments, sometimes you have moments that are hard. And it just was really cathartic for me to write some of those things down on paper. Mm -hmm. I recently bought my first fountain pen. It's like a really simple, like $20 pen. I think it's by a company in Germany. It's, I think it's called Lamy, Lamy Pen, L-A-M-Y. Uh, but it's, it's really good. It's $20 or so. And it just helps me clarify my thoughts even better. It's way better than just the ballpoint pens I'm, I've been used to writing with my whole life. So just kind of fun to write with something nice like that. If it's, um, you know, it's tools, you know, if it helps you to do, achieve what you want to do, then it's worth spending a little bit more. And if it's 20 bucks, uh, come on, it's a, there's no, re it's a no brainer, I would say. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, very good. Well, Alex, so we mentioned your podcast. So, um, so Stock Stories, that's the podcast. Uh, where can people uh, otherwise find you? Yeah, you can find me on my website, which is stockstoryteller.com, or I'm on Instagram too, at stockstoryteller, or Twitter, also stockstoryteller. But on Twitter, I ran out of characters, so there's no O's. So, but it's spelled out <laughs> stockstoryteller. Okay, very good. I will link it all up in the show notes anyway, so people can find you everywhere. And uh, yeah, enjoy the, the, I mean, enjoy the shows and the, the, and the benefit from the tips. Of course, you're not a financial advisor. I am not neither, but at least it's a uh, very good material to get started uh, before uh, making a decision and learning more about the, the companies. So Alex, I want to thank you again for sharing your story and uh, yeah, your uh, tips on uh, investing. So thank you so much. And uh, yeah, we'll speak soon. 
Awesome. Thanks, Jonathan. I really appreciate you having me on. I hope that you enjoyed this episode and that you learned something from it. I certainly enjoyed my conversation with Alex. It was a pleasure to have you on. And I'm looking forward to listen to more stock stories on your podcast. Anyway, before we leave, here are the key takeaways for today. Number one, the stock markets carry a mysterious aura. How does one get over the psychological barrier to start investing in the stock markets? Well, one excellent tip that Alex gave was to understand the difference between businesses and stock prices. Stock prices are a market's opinion at a particular moment in time, and they can be accurate or not. While businesses are driven by sales, assets, cash, net results, etc. So keeping those two definitions in mind really can protect you when the stock crashes, for example. If the business still goes well, you're essentially buying the stock at a discounted price. Number two, the law of large numbers. With time, it is harder to grow faster and faster for large companies such as Amazon. So if you're looking for fast growers, look at smaller companies. Number three, metrics like the PE ratio or the PEG ratio and cyclicality matter a lot when evaluating a company, but as well look at the personality of the company and the underlying economic characteristics that made the company a success. The question you need to ask yourself is, will we see those positive characteristics again moving forward? Number four, view stock as categories, the concept from Peter Lynch. So look at businesses and identify the category. Does it belong to fast growers, slow growers, stalwarts, cyclical, turnarounds or asset plays? And as Alex mentioned, if you're a beginner, you're better to look at familiar companies like the stalwarts. And then once you're more comfortable, branch out into fast growers, for example, I mean, cyclical and turnarounds, etc. These uh, are a bit risky at first. And then last key takeaway for today, especially for you, if you're a beginner, or if you're still a bit on the fence of investing in the stock market, the important thing here is, as we have said before, and that is also valid for many other things, is to get started. So yeah, start identifying the companies you're interested in, you're familiar with, uh, go visit their website, and if they are publicly traded, go to the investor section and start reading the annual report, just to get yourself familiar with the jargon, with uh, how they present themselves, how the companies doing, what products they sell, how they make money, etc. And just try to understand their business model. And if you want an example on how to do that, I think the best way is to listen to one of Alex's episodes. Oh yeah, and before I forget, it's okay, and it's actually normal to maybe lose a little bit of money uh, in the beginning. Take this as your learning curve money, so it doesn't matter too much. Make those mistakes, but then continue growing and learning and reading about the companies you, you want to invest in. So that was it for today. Thank you so much for listening. It really means a lot to me. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcast. And of course, please do not hesitate to contact me. If you have any questions or feedback, send me an email, john at johnnytalks.com or connect through social media at johnnytalks on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And amigos, once more, thanks so much for listening and I'll speak to you next time.